Day 3 of Totus Tuus' Novena for Christmas With quotes from Benedict XVI's encyclical Deus Caritas Est The world of the Bible presents us with a new image of God. In surrounding cultures, the image of God and of the gods ultimately remained unclear and contradictory. In the development of biblical faith, however, the content of the prayer fundamental to Israel, the Shema, became increasingly clear and unequivocal. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There is only one God, the Creator of heaven and earth, who is thus the God of all. Two facts are significant about this statement. All other gods are not God, and the universe in which we live has its source in God and was created by Him. Certainly, the notion of creation is found elsewhere, yet only here does it become absolutely clear that it is not one God among many, but the one true God Himself, who is the source of all that exists. The whole world comes into existence by the power of His creative word. Consequently, His creation is dear to Him, for it was willed by Him and made by Him. The second important element now emerges. This God loves man. The divine power that Aristotle at the height of Greek philosophy sought to grasp through reflection is indeed for every being an object of desire and of love. And as the object of love, this divinity moves the world. But in itself it lacks nothing and does not love. It is solely the object of love. The one God, in whom Israel believes, on the other hand, loves with a personal love. His love, moreover, is an elective love. Among all the nations, he chooses Israel and loves her. But he does so precisely with a view to healing the whole human race. God loves, and his love may certainly be called Eros, yet it is also totally agape. The prophets, particularly Hosea and Ezekiel, described God's passion for his people using boldly erotic images. God's relationship with Israel is described using the metaphors of betrothal and marriage. Idolatry is thus adultery and prostitution. The history of the love relation between God and Israel consists at the deepest level in the fact that he gives her the Torah, thereby opening Israel's eyes to man's true nature and showing her the path leading to true humanism. It consists in the fact that man, through a life of fidelity to the one God, comes to experience himself as loved by God and discovers joy in truth and in righteousness, a joy in God which becomes his essential happiness. Whom do I have in heaven but you? And there is nothing upon earth that I desire besides you. For me it is good to be near God. 
we have seen that God's eros for man is also totally agape. This is not only because it is bestowed in a completely gratuitous manner, without any previous merit, but also because it is love which forgives. Hosea, above all, shows us that this agape dimension of God's love for man goes far beyond the aspect of gratuity. Israel has committed adultery and has broken the covenant. God should judge her and repudiate her. It is precisely at this point that God is revealed to be God and not man. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. God's passionate love for his people, for humanity, is at the same time a forgiving love. It is so great that it turns God against himself, his love against his justice. Here Christians can see a dim prefigurement of the mystery of the cross. So great is God's love for man that by becoming man he follows him even into death and so reconciles justice and love. The philosophical dimension to be noted in this biblical vision and its importance from the standpoint of the history of religions lies in the fact that on the one hand we find ourselves before a strictly metaphysical image of God. God is the absolute and ultimate source of all being. But this universal principle of creation, the Logos, primordial reason, is at the same time a lover with all the passion of a true love. Eros is thus supremely ennobled, yet at the same time it is so purified as to become one with agape. We can thus see how the reception of the Song of Songs in the canon of sacred scripture was soon explained by the idea that these love songs ultimately describe God's relation to man and man's relation to God. Thus the Song of Songs became, both in Christian and Jewish literature, a source of mystical knowledge and experience, an expression of the essence of biblical faith, that man can indeed enter into union with God, his primordial aspiration. But this union is no mere fusion, a sinking in the nameless ocean of the divine. It is a unity which creates love, a unity in which both God and man remain themselves and yet become fully one. As St. Paul says, He who is united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Let us pray. 
Holy Mary, Mother of God, you have given the world its true light, Jesus, your Son, the Son of God. You abandoned yourself completely to God's call and thus became a wellspring of the goodness which flows forth from him. Show us Jesus. Lead us to him. Teach us to know and love him, so that we too can become capable of true love and be fountains of living water in the midst of a thirsting world. Amen. <laughs>